G'day everybody and welcome to round 19 of the Weekender. Another big week of footy come and gone and Marcus, both our teams, well, some of us just managed to get on the winners list but we're both still winning as we head towards the back end of the season and it's uh, the finals race is tensing up. Oh, it's one of the most exciting times of the year, isn't it? I think I was saying this to a couple of people during the week or even over the weekend that this especially when your team's in it and, and doing well and, and vying for a spot in the top eight or the top four, that it's, it's such an exciting time of the year and um, just trying to figure out where your team's going to finish and who you need to lose and who you need to win. It's 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 great. So I'm loving it. I uh, didn't think I'd be in this position a few weeks ago, but um, absolutely loving it uh, at this time of the year with, uh, what is it, five games to go now? Yeah, five games to go. And it's it's one of those ones though. I feel like it's the it's awesome that you know it's so intense and there's so much happening. But it, you also rack your brain trying to work out the ladder predictors and who needs to lose what by how much and who needs to win by how. It's it's almost too much if I'm being completely honest. I'd much rather be a Collingwood sitting pretty at the top of the ladder, knowing where you're going to finish at the end of the season than where we are at the moment. But it's all a part of footy, unfortunately. But plenty to talk about this week, like we said. And I mean, we we were both at the game on Friday night where Bombers took on. The Western Bulldogs and what ended up being a great game, and the star of the game was no doubt Marcus Bontempelli. Uh, are we underrating his season at the moment? We're all talking about Nick Dacos, and we're all talking about um, Zach Butters and Christian Petrarca. But are we underrating Bontempelli's season this year? Um, I don't think we're underrating it, but I definitely think it is not getting probably spoken as highly as a Nick Dacos or a Zach Butters or even a Petrarca as well. I think the Bond got a lot of credit earlier in the season, but I think we all forgot about him because Dacos was just completely dominating the competition and still is. Um, but I think, but yeah, I, I definitely think the Bond should be spoken in that regard um, because that performance on Friday night was unbelievable. So, like, it was so good to watch in person as well. And um, yeah, he's such a good player, isn't he? He's, he is the Western Bulldogs and he is the reason why they're, probably in, in, in the position that they are at the moment. So he's, yeah, he's such a good player. And um, and it's, it's crazy. He's been like that since his first year, really. His first few games, he hasn't really played a bad game or, or, or has a, hasn't really had a bad season um, since coming into the comp- competition probably about nine or ten years ago now. So he's an absolute freak. He's been so consistent over the journey. And I, I think the difference when comparing the two in terms of Dacos and Bontempelli and what they're doing. I think Nick Dacos is no doubt playing an exceptional brand of football and dominating the competition. And Bontempelli is almost doing the same thing over at the Dogs, but he's willing his team over the line in a lot of games and putting them into the position that they're in, where I feel like Collingwood would still be succeeding without Nick Dacos in the team. And that's not a knock on Nick. I just think it's the level of where Collingwood are at right now. Um, and I know it's very different to the Brownlow medal in terms of um, if you're comparing it to just, say, the NBA MVP, where a lot of the time the MVP is um, chosen by, you know, where he was able to take his team. But I think if you were looking at it from that perspective, then Bontempelli would have to be a number one choice because I, I don't see the dogs being as high up on the ladder as they are without him doing the things that he's done for them this year. Yeah, 100%. He's it's just that, like what, what I... I'm amazed by is just how clean he is with the ball as well, and um, and he's smart around goal, and um, and he and he's so good overhead as well. He honestly doesn't really have too much of a weakness. Maybe his pace, but he, the way he plays, he doesn't really need it. Um, he's just he's one of the most skillful players I've probably ever seen play the game, and um, there's no exaggeration to say that he's he will go down as one of the 
one of the greats um, and would love for him to, to have a Brownlow medal around his neck because he's probably in that conversation of like, you know, a player like Scott Pendlebury who's gone their whole career without winning a Brownlow and um, you just you, you feel like the Bont deserves one at some stage. And, um, yeah, I think I, th- I think it would be an injustice if he, if he didn't win one because he's gotten close. I think he got 33 votes in 2021 and still didn't win it. And that usually locks up the Brownlow for you most most seasons, if not every season. So I think he's uh you'll go close this year. I still feel Nick Dacos will beat him, but um, geez, I'd love to see him see him win it. Yeah, I think the part of the Nick Dacos thing as well will also be the hysteria around him, and rightfully so. Like we said, we're not trying to take anything away from Dacos. So I think the hysteria will, if anything, drag him over the line for that award there. But you're right, Bontempelli is a star and head and shoulders above most of the competition. But we'll move on because we could talk about Bont and Pally all day, no doubt. I'd love to. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. But we're going we're gonna to move on to Willie Rioli. And obviously he's been reported two weeks for striking uh, Collingwood's Nathan Murphy. Uh, got him in the face. Murphy's obviously fallen over. Um, and that's where the two weeks has probably come in for the high contact. And um, I'm tipping they've used um, high impact as well. Rioli is now appealing the, the two-match ban for a head-high strike. What, what are your thoughts on this? Because obviously there's a lot of mixed opinions. A lot, a lot of you would have seen Kane Corns and Nathan Buckley teeing off at each other um, this morning on SEN where Corns was saying Murphy was flopping and Buckley was saying, nah, there's no way he didn't expect to hit to the face. What are your thoughts on this? Because there's definitely, definitely heaps of perspectives. When, when I first saw it, I I thought it was yeah, a shocking look and um... – and thought, yeah, he's definitely he's definitely in trouble for it. And then, then you wake up the next morning, and it, you're hearing people calling Nathan Murphy a, a flopper, and and Rioli didn't really do too much, and it was a pretty soft act. But no, I, I just I just don't buy what they're saying. Seriously, like he's he's turned around and 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 reached around like that in with the the action to sort of strike or punch but he went with the open open hand I, I still think the like if we're gonna punish the the action instead of the outcome which we're all hoping the mro does um with everything then then that's something that you gotta that's got to be punished i think um yeah it's just not it's, it's not a great look and um you know, whether murphy flopped or not i, I, I don't think it's a, i don't think it really um yeah, I don't think I don't think that's really a, a deciding factor on whether it was right or wrong. To be honest, yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm sort of on the fence a little bit in the sense that I don't think it was a malicious intention to not hit him. I think it was more of a if because you, you look at the footage, they're grappling each other, Murphy's tugging at the jumper. I think it was more of a like a get off me type, just trying to brush him off. But again, if you do choose to swing an arm, whether your fists open or closed, and you hit high contact, then I think you've got to do the time. And like you said, we're all hoping that they punish the action, not the outcome. Um, so I think if they they want to hold any sort of integrity, they've got to stick with their two-week ban. I think two weeks is just about right. It's not too much where it's absolutely outrageous, but it's probably right on the money of, you know, you're going to think twice before you do that again. Um, but yeah, I don't think there was any malicious intent behind it. I just think it was one of those things that happens in football sometimes. What if he knocked him out or poked him in the eye or something? What do you, do you think he still would have got two weeks? Oh, I think if he had got knocked out, he would have gotten four or five weeks because they, they the way the MRO goes is they go by um they go by outcome. As much as we don't want them to, that that's that's just that is just what happens. Um but if you look at the impact, it was a pretty light strike. It was head high, obviously, which is what's gonna hurt him and what's probably given him the two weeks because 
as we saw last week, if you had to hit him in the guts, that would have been nothing. He would have gotten away with it. So I think it's the head high contact that's got him there. But if you're hitting him hard enough to knock him out, then he definitely would have got four or five weeks. Yeah, 100%. So again, that's 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 just the MRO and, and, it, and its issues with the, with the system. But I'm glad they, yeah, even though Nathan Murphy, nothing happened to him, I'm still glad that there was yeah, some sort of punishment for, for the act. Yeah, 100%. I think they needed to be. There would have been a bit of an out an outcry. Um, especially for those that have suffered from suspensions for similar things or even lesser things. Um, to see him get off would have been a real blight to the game. But speaking of Nathan Murphy and the Collingwood Football Club, not that it comes to any surprise to anybody anymore, but they've done it again. They've gone over to Adelaide. They've beaten probably their biggest competition um, that's out there at the moment, Port Adelaide in Adelaide, almost an impossible task for most teams. And Collingwood have gone over... And in the most Collingwood way possible, we've gone and done it again. It's getting boring, isn't it? It's like watching the same movie. Same old. Honestly, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, I don't have any more words yeah. to describe what Collingwood are, are doing anymore. Really. Like, it's, you, you had, obviously, your hat goes off to them, like, with, with the, the belief that they have and um, and how clutch they are in the key moments and um, and how how much they they take their opportunities so well. It, it, and, yeah, but it's not like they dominate games and and you're like, oh yeah, oh, they're, they're just they're walking it in. It's too easy for them. They're you know you, down a lot of the time in games and then you know, find a way to, to claw, claw it back and and get themselves in front at the final siren. So yeah, they're 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 a hard team to stop and it's almost yeah, it's almost to the point where there's no point being in front against Collingwood at three quarter time or early in the last quarter. Um, because you know exactly what they're going to do. And that momentum, it, it's very hard to stop. Absolutely, it was. I think what helped them as well on the weekend was that, I mean, people talk about them being the comeback kings, and they absolutely are. They, they've done it week in, week out. We, we just keep seeing it over and over again. But Port wasn't that far in front where it was really an unreachable and unfathomable, unfathomable thing for them to come back and do. I think it's more impressive is that once they get on their roll, you almost they're almost impossible to stop. You, you can't slow their momentum. Um, you know they don't miss. They don't miss shots on goal, no matter where they're kicking. Like Jamie Elliott just kicks them from the boundary line for fun these days. It's it's ridiculous, and everything just goes their way. Like you look at that Jamie Elliott mark, and you know you see the slow motion replay whether the ball went out in the full or not, and and it's in honestly by by B's dick. Like it was so close. Um, and that just yeah, I think that just speaks wonders for the brand that Collingwood's playing at the moment. Just how everything just seems to fall their way at the right time of the game for them. Yeah, exactly right. It's it's obviously no fluke because they've been doing it for, uh, you know, the best part of 12, 18 months now. And, um, I mean, you, you could have gotten away with saying that it was all luck or, or flukish what they were doing last season, but they, they've, they've backed it up and more this season. So you, you definitely can't say that that's all, all luck. And, yeah, they've obviously got a great system in place. They've got some really strong values and beliefs and, coached really well and, and built a really strong culture there. So you you can't, yeah, you can't knock what they're doing um, as much as everyone loves to hate Collingwood and um, especially, you know, Carlton supporters, Richmond supporters, Essendon supporters. Um, we don't particularly like them, but you, you, you've got to, you've got to respect what they're doing and, um, and they'll be, they'll be a hard team to stop for, for the premiership this year. Yeah. Unfortunately it is too hard to not respect them with what they've done. It's um, it's way beyond that now. So I think that's just a given. But what are, your, what are your thoughts on Tom Mitchell getting subbed out of the game for Oleg Markov? I'm, a lot of people are saying it was a tactical thing because they needed that fast-paced defender coming on to give him a bit of run. Some people are saying 
Mitchell was a bit sore. What's your take on it? Because something out someone like Mitchell is, uh, I mean, for most clubs probably wouldn't do that. Is it because it's Collingwood that they can get away with it and um, cover it up with all these great wins that they're having, and and people just accept it as oh, that you know they're going so well they can sub off someone like Tom Mitchell. Um, I don't know, but clearly the the depth and everything they've got in that team, especially that midfield, is so strong that they they have the yeah, the opportunity to, to sub a player like him. And, and, you know, he's not getting any younger as well, so he, he could probably do with some some managed minutes, potentially. I'm not sure exactly what's what's going on, but you, you, you'd think that they know what they're doing and, and Craig McCrae certainly knows what he's doing, um, as we as we all know. So um, concerning, but, yeah, I mean, as a Collingwood fan, um, I'm sure I'm sure they wouldn't be too concerned if um, if Mitchell's getting subbed off and I'm sure they all, all trust the coaching group down there. Yeah, hundred percent. There's there's no reason to not trust them, and I think their biggest issue would, or their biggest worry now, would be just making sure that Mitchell wasn't injured, um, and it was just a tactical sub, which, you know, from all reports, I believe it was, so, which means he'll be good to go for next week against your boys. But we'll talk about that one a little bit later. The other big news of the weekend was Will Ashcroft, the young gun of the competition, is unfortunately ruptured his ACL and will miss, you'd imagine, twelve months now of football which sees him out for the rest of the year, obviously. But the big question in a lot of people's minds is, has he done enough to wrap up the Rising Star Award? There's a lot of good players in the competition at his age. Has he done enough to wrap it up? Um, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I probably... He's had such a good season. Like, he's been yeah, he's been unbelievable. But I, I probably would have had Owen Owens winning it from the Saints um, anyway. So I don't think he would have had it sewn up um, but geez, it, it, I mean, if he if he, if he obviously didn't hurt his knee and, and played out the rest of the season, then then he, he probably could have won it. But I was probably picking Owens, just given the impact that he has had, um, yeah, especially in such a tough position as well. And um, it's not not a knock on Ashcroft, um, but he, he's playing midfield, which is you know typically um, yeah a lot easier to sort of settle yourself in there and, and playing that role. But yeah, Owens is playing that. That half forward or that forward or even key forward at times, a bit of a hybrid through there um, and doing so well. Um, so, yeah, I probably would have had him winning. Um, so, me personally, I probably think it is, yeah, rising star over for Ashcroft. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, even if Owens isn't in the picture, you've, you've still got blokes at North Melbourne, even like Sheasel and Wardlaw that are also coming up and playing some outstanding football. And you just think with the extra five, six games under their belt, um, it's it's going to do them a world of good in, in terms of winning that Rising Star Award. And Ashcroft's been dominant. He's been in Brisbane starting midfield all season and he hasn't, he hasn't looked out of place. But yeah, I think you're right. I think there's so many other young guns in the competition right now playing really good football. Um, they're missing this many games. Just it, it doesn't help you cause at all. So what do you have an answer for that? Do you think it's, it's him done or, or who are you picking? Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not putting a name on who I think will win it yet, but I think, I think that is him done. I don't think he wins it from here. Like you said, there's a couple other players that are just playing too good at the moment. Um, unless everyone falls off a cliff and you know has awful last five games of the year, which I don't see happening, then maybe he has it wrapped up. But um, I still think he'll pull really well and get close. But I, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think he wins it from yeah. here now. I unfortunately, think, yeah, unfortunately for him, and yeah, he could potentially miss out on a. On a premiership as well. Um, I know, yeah, we are just saying Collingwood was going to be hard to beat, but I think Brisbane's going to be right up there. And um, if they can learn to, to win at the MCG, then 
Um, they're a big chance. So could potentially miss out on, on the ultimate as well. Yeah, which, I mean, we, we both know how hard, you know, premierships are to win, let alone grand finals, just to get to them. So if, if they were to win, it would be devastating for him. Um, we, you know, we saw it with very different, obviously very different stages of their career. But I mean, you know, Bob Murphy was at the other end of the spectrum back in 2016, where he went his whole career without getting there. And then, you know, he missed out when they finally did. Whereas Ashcroft's at the beginning, Imagine if it pans out the other way for him where they win the flag this year and then they never get back there throughout the rest of his career going forward. So, look, hopefully Brisbane stick around a little bit for him and, you know, he still has some success with them going forward. But, yeah, he could potentially miss out on everything this year, you're right. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's talk about one team that is absolutely dominating at the moment and completely almost going under the radar just due to the, you know, the 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 size of the club and, you know, the... Yeah, let's be honest, we don't know too many of their fans, but the Greater Western Sydney Giants are six in a row and, and entrenched in the top eight at the moment. And they're looking looking very likely to finish there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's talking about this finals race and who's going to make that final spot. And of course, you know, Richmond, Carlton, um, Geelong, those names are all getting tossed around because they're the bigger clubs. But the, the Giants, I think you're right, are being underrated at the moment and what they're doing. Six games in a row now they've won. Uh, they've won them convincingly as well. They're not just scraping over the line. They're playing some seriously good football. And with blokes like Toby Green leading them from the front and playing some good footy himself, um, I, I honestly think they, they, they you know, they're, they're looking at the rest of their fixture, they've got that top eight spot. I don't want to say locked because nothing's ever set in stone, but it's it's well and truly there for the good taking. Do you think they make it, if you had to call it right now? Um, yeah, well, based yeah. off current form, yeah. yes. Yeah, I do. Questions without notice. Who finishes seventh and eighth? Who are the two teams that, that fall in there? Well, I mean, you go off current form, you you probably have to say, and I know you're going to be have a big smile on your face now, but you probably have to say Giants and Carlton at the moment. They're playing <laughs> the, the the brand of football they're playing. You know, is is really good. I'd love to say the Tigers. You know, we've won six of our last seven, so we're in really good shape in, in terms of win loss records at the moment as well. But I don't think our brand is as convincing as what um, Carlton and the Giants have been dishing up. The last few weeks, as much as that pains me to say, but if I'm being realistic, I think, yeah, the Giants. But I mean, it depends where Geelong finish because Geelong are in good form. They've got a lot of home games at GMHBA. It, I really don't know. I really don't know. But um, yeah, I, th- I think Giants and Carlton are probably, if there's two teams that jump into the eight, I'd, I reckon it's Carlton and the Giants. I know the Giants are there currently, yeah. but you know. Don't act like you haven't done a ladder predictor. I know you have. If your team's close to making finals, you definitely would have done a few. Oh, I've done ladder predictor about 100 times, and I reckon each time I've made Carlton, Giants, Geelong lose every game from here on to the rest of the season, and we finish about fifth in the ladder. So we're still a chance if everything goes the way I reckon it will, but I don't think that's happening funny enough. <laughs> yeah, well, I've done a few different scenarios, and um, yeah, sort of had, yeah, had sort of had like, it, it always felt, fell into place where dogs would finish fifth, Geelong would finish sixth, Carlton seventh or eighth. And then, yeah, I think it was it was out of the Giants or the Blues to you know, figure out who finishes seventh or eighth. For me, seventh or eighth, to play the Bulldogs or Geelong would be bloody hard in an elimination final, especially Geelong, given their experience in finals. And even the Bulldogs as well, they're a very experienced finals team. But Geelong coming off a premiership, it would be a very tough game, and um, but yeah, then yeah, finishing eighth, I think it's the do- playing the dogs at the at the G would be tough as well. But um, yeah, that's that's for me. I was it was either Carlton Giants, and then obviously yeah, depending on on other results as well. Geelong might even drop a couple of games and, and fall down. So it's it's fascinating. It's going to be such a fascinating 
finish to the season. Yeah, when, when we spoke about it at the beginning of the episode, it's uh, it's keeping all, all of us on the edge of our seats. Our hearts are all racing. And it's it, it, honestly, I'd almost rather not be in the picture at all because at least you stop, you know, you, there's not that hope anymore and you stop wondering and you stop trying to think of scenarios in your head where it works out the way you want it to work out. At least if you you know you're out of the picture altogether, you don't think about that. You just worry about next year, but maybe and just enjoy the moment as it is. But unfortunately, it's never like that. It's um, with football, it's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a cruel game. Well, Speaking of, of cruel things, Harley Reid allegedly, allegedly makes him sound like a, a criminal, um, reportedly has turned down West Coast, doesn't want to go there. Where do you uh, where do you see him going? Well, if you ask West Coast fans after he said that, he uh, he probably is a criminal in their eyes over there. But I mean, personally, I, I didn't see West Coast holding on to that number, number one pick regardless. Um, I honestly saw them packaging it up and, you know, shipping it off for a few picks coming back their way. So I don't think it's the biggest blow for them, um, him saying he doesn't want to go there. But, I mean, who knows? It honestly, it depends. Anyone could get him. I know a lot of – there was talk about him going to the, to Melbourne maybe. Um, I think a team like Hawthorne could be really well suited for him if they would – you know, if they were willing to trade the picks for him because they've got a good good team, young midfield up and coming. You know, you inject Carly Reid into it, it probably – you know, fast forwards their progress a year, two years maybe. So, I don't know. He could go anywhere. I know there has been a bit of talk about the Ds. Have you heard much about that? Yeah, well, Melbourne's got a, a flurry of early picks, and including Frio's first round pick this season, which is looking really good for him, given Frio's um, yeah slump and and their um, yeah again that they're, they're they're a big news story as well. They've been probably the most disappointing team this season, currently sitting fourth last. So. Melbourne get their first pick with the with the Luke Jackson trade last year, and it's yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to see what Melbourne do whether they package it up and trade all their picks to West Coast for pick one. Who knows? Um, but you think yeah, given given the reports and, and if they're true or not, you, you would be silly as a Victorian team not to not to go after him. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you can have the debate all day long about whether you think it's right or wrong that Harley Reid said he doesn't want to go here, doesn't want to go there. Um, you know, we had the conversation with Archie Perkins a couple of seasons ago, but whether it's right or wrong, he, he said it now. And I think as a, you know, a, a team from Western Australia or, you know, anywhere he says he doesn't want to go, you'd be silly to bring in there because, you know, as soon as he gets a chance, he's going to jump ship and go home a bit like we saw with Jason Horn Francis, um, you know, last season. So, yeah, you'd be silly as a Victorian team if you had the picks um, and you're in that position where you know he would jump into your list and, and suit it perfectly um, to not to not try and pick him up because you know you, you watch the highlights you, you see the way he plays and he genuinely looks like he could be yeah. a generational talent. Well, just on West Coast, obviously Blues played him on the weekend and and yeah did what everyone expected him to do and, and win by a big margin. But geez, they, I think they are they are the worst team I think I've seen. I mean, we've probably said it a couple of times throughout the year, but they are, they are dreadful. And given the the talent and premiership players that they've still got in there, it's it's it, it's mind boggling how bad they are. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's mind boggling that they almost beat the Saints the other week. That a team that they got so close to to a team as well. So they were uncompetitive for a lot of that game, especially in that first half. Yeah, I mean, that St. Kilda game could be more reflective of the Saints. I mean, they nearly dropped a game to North again on the weekend. But you're right. I don't know. I think with West Coast, there's no more excuses we can make for them. I think, like, I know against Richmond a couple of weeks ago, they had 11 premiership players playing. 
I think against Carlton, they had 10 or 11 premiership players playing. It's, you know, you're fair enough that you, you know, you have your fall from grace and, you know, you, you don't play your best footy anymore. I mean, like Richmond are probably, you know, firsthand, you, you're looking at that, but for West Coast to be as bad as they are and quite potentially the worst team like we've ever seen in terms of just over the span of a season or two um, is seriously concerning. But I think the one thing you've got to tip your hat off to West Coast supporters is that they've they've still got 100,000 members. They're, they're still packing out um, Optus Oval when they go to the games and they're still rocking up every week supporting. And I don't know how they do it. If I was watching my team get annihilated like that every week, I mean... The, the real footy nuffies like you and I, we'd probably still go and, and suffer a little bit. But these guys are coming out in, in numbers and, you know, their membership tally, they've got um, a waiting list on their memberships at the moment. I mean, if if, we, if any of our teams were that bad on the ladder, that certainly would yeah. not be the case. 100%. Yeah. Hats off to them. They're, they're obviously the most loyal fans in the game, you'd think, to, to still have numbers like that um, during during this bizarre time for the footy club is is quite remarkable. So, but while we're on the on the on West Coast and the or, and the Carlton West Coast game, we can't not do this review without mentioning Charlie Kerno's ten goals. I was hoping to. <laughs> Come on, that's that's something that that that's got to be discussed. And um, for any player, no matter the opposition, to still kick ten goals in a game is is yeah extraordinary in in this day and age absolutely it's it's an absolute rarity i mean i think if you count the amount of players in the competition currently playing that have kicked 10 goals you could count them on one hand it's um it doesn't happen very often i think you're right you you do you get to appreciate these sorts of performances when they do come regardless of who it's against i don't think it matters who you're playing if you're kicking 10 goals in a game it's impressive um no matter no matter who you're playing so yeah, definitely. Hats off to Charlie. I mean, he's had an incredible season. He's obviously leading the Coleman for a reason. Um, and kick, I mean, he kicked nine last time, so he kind of had to one-up himself and kick the 10 um, this time around at, uh, at Marvel Stadium on yeah. the weekend. So he's kicked 19 goals against West Coast in one season. It's, it's it's crazy. It's not bad. And if you tell people that's in two games, they would uh, probably struggle to believe it. But just quickly before we, we move on from the West Coast debacle that is happening at the moment. Have you seen what's happening in the VFL with North Preston Bullants at the moment? Yeah. Terrible. It's, I mean, I don't know how some of these stand, I'm trying to find it now. So if I'm looking at my phone, excuse me, I'm trying to find the exact scores, but you look at some of these standalone teams in the VFL that are battling alongside and playing against, you know, AFL clubs. For North Preston to be losing games the way that they've been losing, uh, it makes you wonder. I mean, obviously it's one season, you know they'll, they'll obviously be around next year, but it just makes you wonder how long these these standalone teams can last. Now that you know the, the VFL has expanded up into Queensland and New South Wales, and um, obviously the introduction of all these AFL clubs now um, having their own VFL teams, it's um, it's hard to compete with. I mean, some teams have eleven AFL listed players playing at one time, and it's going to be hard for these these um you know in local clubs or you know if that's what you want to call them these local standalone clubs yeah. to compete. well if you think the AFL competition's compromised then you just got to look at the VFL competition and there there's serious issues and there's going to be an overhaul needed in that in that competition and yeah it's just yeah for the integrity of it and um you know what you know the whole fabric around the VFL and having those standalone clubs and the history of it all and it never used to be like this never used to be this bad or uncompetitive so there needs to be big changes there and and whether you know the yeah reserves for the afl clubs have their own 
competition and we keep the VFL team separate, I'm not sure. Um, it feels like it's leaning towards that, given that we've now got Sydney and the Gold Coast and teams like that in in the VFL, which makes no sense. So maybe the you know the yeah the, the reserves for the AFL clubs break away and, and just play play each other in their own competition. It's honestly becoming that because I mean, like you know, back in the day, we obviously had our own affiliate teams that you know most AFL clubs would you know go for Richmond, for example. I know we were, we were teamed up with Coburg there and. And that's the way it was. But now with the introduction of these AFL clubs having their own VFL teams, it's just, like you said, compromise is the best word to do it. And I finally whipped up the scores. The last three weeks for the Northern Bull Ants, they lost against Footscray 161 to 4. They lost to Werribee 161 to 17. And then they lost to Brisbane Lions Reserves 145 to 17. I mean, these scores are under eights you know type of scores you don't you don't see this at professional level um especially not vfl which is supposed to be you know the, the second highest tier competition almost in the country obviously you got the waffle and sandful that are competing as well but it's supposed to be such a good quality and standard competition imagine this was happening in the afl imagine a team kick four points against another side in the afl it would be the biggest news ever but i think it's it's a shame what's happening because these Local standalone clubs, you know, like Coburg, Preston, Williamstown, Sandringham, uh, Frankston even. That was sort of the fabric of well, what 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 was the VFA and has now obviously become the VFL. Um, and it's a shame to see them all sort of going downhill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sad times. But yeah, definitely definitely changes needed there, you'd think. So fingers crossed they can they can sort that out. But shall we, uh, shall we get into our tips for round 20? Can you believe it? Round 20 next week. Uh, gone so quick it's uh yeah it's absolutely flown by but yeah may as well dive straight into those because we did forget last week so apologies for that for those that were interested to hear what we had to say but we've uh, we're back this week and we got the tips ready to go do you want to lead us off oh, i'd love to mate we've got the uh the biggest matchup of the home and away season it is collingwood and carlton at the mcg friday night footy 90 plus thousand expected there yeah, it's a sold out sold out a couple of weeks ago when Given the form of these two teams, it's probably the yeah you know, the, the hottest matchup between these two teams for a very long time. You can you can mount an argument to say that from the final round of last season was 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 big, which it was. But Carlton was going into that game off the back of three losses in a row, where now they're coming in with five wins in a row. Collingwood, we all know what they're doing; they never lose. So this is this is a massive contest, and Carlton obviously going in as underdogs, but it's going to be absolutely on it's it's one of those games where it's got that feel of you know that potentially afterwards you could be like oh where were you when this game took place one of the you know one of those sorts of home and away games because there's so many ramifications behind it you spoke about um, final round of last year and obviously the same thing so much so much on the line in that game but I feel like it's the same here I mean more so for Carlton Collingwood you think have got top spot wrapped up but if Carlton were to pull this one off then you know, the the talk and, and the confidence that would be given the club, it would be enormous. Um, and even if they can, you know, they lose and they, but they're within a couple of points, I think even then the, the confidence will be through the roof. So a lot riding on this one. Um, I think it is too hard to tip against Collingwood considering how good they've been and, you know, the football that they're playing. I think you'd be silly to not tip Collingwood, but it's going to be an absolute ripper yeah. game. No, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think Collingwood will win. I'll be tipping Collingwood, but... Um, geez, I'd love nothing more than than the Blues to to win this. We absolutely owe Collingwood one for a number of things, in particular 
that last round. So let's let's see what we see what we can do. But pause for me. Yeah, done. Both Collingwood. Well, we move on Saturday afternoon, and we spoke about the Cats having a lot of games at the Cattery. They've got probably their easiest scalp for the season you'd imagine on paper. They've taken on Freo at GMHBA Stadium, and I, Freo, I don't have a case I could ever possibly yeah. mount for him in this situation. One word, Geelong. Move on. Yep, done. Moving on. Well, we move on to the biggest rivalry game of the weekend, and the Bulldogs take on the Greater Western Sydney Giants up at Mars Stadium in Ballarat. And I know I was joking clearly about the biggest rivalry in the game, but there is a lot of tension and heat between these two sides and both vying for, you know, a similar position on the ladder. And I think this game, as well as the Carlton Collingwood one, has a lot of ramifications behind it. Yeah, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. Obviously, yeah, the Giants we spoke about earlier in, in a rich vein of form and the Doggies coming off a great win last week. So this is going to be huge down in Ballarat as well. It's going to be freezing over there and... um yeah, I think it's yeah. You, you'd think you you think if the Bulldogs win that, they're 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 a lock to play finals, and then if the Giants do, then then you're, you're almost almost locking them in as well. So it's it's a massive game, and you know yeah, if the Giants lose, and it really opens it up again for you know Carlton or or St Kilda or or Richmond to even swoop in there. It really does. It really does. And like you said, it's going to be absolutely freezing. I think we've got a high of eleven and a low of three degrees, which is. Which is nuts. I mean, if you saw it was going to be a low of three degrees here in Melbourne, you'd you'd be um you'd be losing your mind. But obviously, it's quite regular up in Ballarat, and they get the colder weather over there. But I am going to be going the dogs. Just I don't know. It's hard to separate the two, to be honest with you. But I think the dogs coming off a really good win, um, Mars Stadium, familiar territory for them. Giants have only ever played there once uh, once before, so I'm going to go the dogs. Dogs for me as well. Uh, the Q Clash, Gold Coast and Brisbane. You, you'd think Brisbane. Um. Yeah, they just don't don't lose up in Queensland, and and Gold Coast have just been way too inconsistent this year. So Brisbane for me. Yeah, Brisbane for me as well. And geez, you, you talk about games that are just trumping the Carlton Collingwood clash. Another massive rivalry with the Q clash. It's you're really getting put in the back burner there a little bit. Carlton Collingwood with these games going on, but we'll keep moving forward. We'll keep moving forward. Brisbane for both of them. Uh, Essendon Sydney Saturday night. This is going to be and this is really hard. This is probably the hardest game to pick of the round. It's it's. It's going to be, um, you know, Essendon being super disappointing in the last couple of weeks, but they play good at Marvel. They can pull out a really good game. And then Sydney have been in pretty good form the last couple of weeks. So it's, it's, it's a tough one, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the Swans just given their form of late. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm going the opposite way. I'm going to go the Bombers. I just think, I think there's more on the line for them. I think they're, they're closer to making finals. They're more of a chance of making finals. I just think that, if they're going to win any game and try and get their season back on track, it's this is where they're going to start. So I'm going to go the Bombers. The showdown, Adelaide, Port Adelaide. Jeez, it really is rivalry around, isn't it? Uh, there's some some big matchup. This is huge. This is huge. And I mean, Adelaide have been seriously out of form the last few weeks compared to their standards that we've seen all season. Um, so for me, I will be going Port Adelaide, but this is a big chance for Adelaide as well, just to get a bit of... I don't want to say form, but I mean because they can get form out of this, obviously. But just a bit of confidence and a bit of self belief that um, you know that they, they they are a good football side. So I think it's a big opportunity for them. But I'll still be going Port yeah, Adelaide. Can't say Port Adelaide losing three in a row. So yeah, Port for me as well. Sunday Hawthorne St Kilda at Marvel Stadium. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on Hawks here. Saints have not convinced me at all, and, and the Hawks have been pretty good. Uh, yeah, well, Hawks scared the shit out of me last week, and I've seen what St Kilda have been doing. So I'm going to Hawthorne as well. I just 
I don't know how many close runs can you have with the bottom three teams, St. Kilda. I think, um, you know, they've got Hawthorne now, but Hawthorne are definitely the better of the three bottom teams and they've been pretty convincing all year in terms of um, their growth and which direction they're headed. So, yeah, Hawks for me. Richmond-Melbourne, Sunday afternoon. This is a a massive game as well. Yeah, again, um, Richmond have, you know, had a good run in terms of winning uh, six of the last seven games, but we haven't really played the highest echelon of teams either. So this is a big test to really get an idea of where we are at um and i don't know when it comes to richmond i can never tip with my head I always tip with my heart so i'm going to go the tigers even though i know that that's that's probably yeah, not the way I it's going to pan out i think d's for me they're yeah still playing for for top four and to make sure that they lock that up so i think the d's will be will be too strong as well and then the final game, gee, speaking of rivalries, West Coast, North Melbourne, someone's finally going to break their 16-game losing streak. And, oh, geez, you're going it's, to... It's, and it's actually so hard to pick as well. I'll, I'll be watching this one very closely because I'm telling you, it'll be a good game. I'm saying it now. It'll be a good game. North actually produced some pretty decent footy um, last week against um, St. Kilda. And West Coast, apart from their performance against Carlton, um, I thought have actually played a more respectable brand of football as well, especially at home. So it's a, it is a really tough one to pick. I'm going to go the home ground advantage and give the Eagles a win here. Uh, I think they need it more than North Melbourne in a weird way. Yeah. I think they need um, it more than North Melbourne. So I'm going to go West Coast. Oh, it's it's too oh, – I'm going to go North. I'm going North. They were close last week. They were really close. And, yeah, West Coast just – they're not getting close to anyone. So North for me and, it, yeah, I'm – it's going to be so so good to see the winner, isn't it? And see how happy they're going to be after finally winning. They both haven't won since round two, which is incredible. So it's going to be good that we're finally getting one of those teams a win this week. I think the most I think the most fitting result we could get would be a draw. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. But you're right. I think it will be good to see yeah. one of these teams finally come out yeah. on top. Um, because yeah, that. that I don't want to say they deserve it, but yeah. in in a weird way, they deserve it in the sense that, you know, they've yeah. had so much struggle. All right. Well, they are all the games for round 20. Did you have your good bloke award before we wrap it up? I do. I do have a good bloke award this week. So I'm going to get straight into that. For this week in the good bloke award, and it pains me to say it because no one from the Collingwood Football Club is a good bloke, ever has been or ever will be, apart from this one occasion where I'm giving it to Jamie Elliott for the following. Crisp ends up with it, gives it off to Maynard again. To the dangerous pair up the back. Have a look at this. Elliott looks about. He's going to give it off. Guess who? Game 200. How unselfish is... So for those that aren't watching and are just listening, that was uh, Jamie Elliott running into an open goal. No one in front of him. He turns around. He finds his teammate, Taylor Adams. Hands the footy off and lets him kick a goal in his 200th game. And I think to have the awareness when running into the goal square that there was a you know a 200 game player behind you that's celebrating his milestone and you know he's got a bit of space behind him as well. And then to turn around and dish it off to him, I think was um yeah was the epitome of a good bloke thing to do. It just speaks for Collingwood's culture at the moment that they are a selfless team and they're not playing for themselves, um, which really annoys me to say because I, I love shitting on Collingwood as much as possible. But in that situation, you absolutely can't. Um, good on Jamie Elliott for doing what he did. Yeah, no, nah, that was great. And just, yeah, just to have the awareness in that moment to, to do that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it probably, it probably sums up how Colin was going at the moment as well for them to be able to do that. So, now nah, good on him and the most clutch player in the game as well. I know that's not a part of your good bloke thing, but just wanted to mention that he's, he's quite 
extraordinary. Well, it almost adds to it, doesn't it? I mean, the hysteria around him, it's been a year, I think today, I think it's been a year since today that he uh, he kicked that match winner against Essendon last year. And, um, you know, obviously he's got a bit of a reputation surrounding him now, um, more so than he ever has because of his clutch genes that he's got. Um, so for him to then, yeah, turn around and dish it off, I think speaks even higher, even higher of him. So well done, Jamie or Billy, whatever you want to call yourself these days. You've, uh, you've won the Pressure Point Good Bloke Award for round 19. I swear to God, if he does... Anything close to that on Friday night, like what he did last year to us, I will be jumping the fence, i tell you what. So, yes, you can be – hopefully he's got his all his good bloke stuff out of the way last week and he can just be shit for once against us or everyone this week. That would be that would be very nice, Jamie. <laughs> Something tells me he's not going to quite listen to you on this one, but um, it would be an interesting watch. It will be an interesting watch regardless, regardless. But that – I think that pretty much wraps us up, Marcus. It's been a it's been a longer episode. We're nearly we're nearly uh, forty five minutes in at the moment, so we've uh, we've ticked along nicely. Plenty to talk about, like we said. Before we wrap it up, was there anything you wanted to you wanted to mention, or were you all good? No, that was it. I think yeah, we probably should uh, probably should wrap things up before you need to uh, take Big Paulie off to the to the airport on his on his mystery holiday. So uh, let's uh, let's wrap that up there and and, uh, and, and <laughs> let yourself go. That's right. That's right. I do. I'm going to bring my old man to the airport. And not only do I not know where he's traveling, he doesn't know where he's traveling either. So it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up <laughs> once he gets on the plane. If he gets on the plane, I might be picking him up and dropping him off the same day. So we'll wait and see. But yes, that is it, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in. Thank you, Marcus, for giving me a good laugh there at the end as well. It's been a great episode. I hope you all enjoyed the week of football and best of luck to your teams in round 20. 